Beth and I'm a psychological wellbeing practitioner from Newcastle. I just wanted to say the biggest thank you to the contributors of the Clinical Psychologist Collective book. I've enjoyed reading this so much and loved having an insight into the range of backgrounds and experiences people have prior to applying for the doctorate and it's been really interesting seeing the potential barriers to the application as well and how I can try and work around this. I really started to doubt myself and whether I was good enough to apply for the clinical psychology doctorate but this has really given me the confidence boost that I needed to give it a shot so the biggest thank you ever. If you're looking to become a psychologist Then let this be your guide With this podcast at your side You'll be on your way to being qualified It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast With Dr. Marianne Trent Hi, welcome along to the Aspiring Psychologist podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you also for those of you who have um, left reviews and ratings on the Apple um, podcast app. It is greatly appreciated. And if you haven't done so yet, but you would like to, then please do go along to your Apple podcast app, search for the Aspiring Psychologist podcast, scroll down to the bottom and then leave your rating. And if you've got a moment longer, leave your review too. That would be wonderfully welcome. People have been finding the podcast really useful. They've also been in contact to say that they have been finding the compassionate Q&As useful too. And the other bits and pieces that I have got um, up on YouTube on the Good Thinking Psychological Services uh, site too. But of course, uh, my free content is not the only way you can work with me as well. There is also the Aspiring Psychologist membership. Um, and we're going to be opening that up to an additional 15 people on the 29th of April. Um, so to check out some more information about that, it's easiest to go to my Linktree site, which you can find on any of my socials, um, but it's Linktree and it's Dr. Marianne Trent. But there will, of course, be a link in the um, show notes for you to find out information about that. But the Aspiring Psychologist um, membership is a close-knit community where you get um, direct access to me um, weekly, and that includes monthly group Zooms as well and useful useful content so if the you know if the free content is this good imagine how useful the paid content is too so you can absolutely join the waiting list for that um, so that when the morning of the 29th of April comes around which is when the next um, lot of people are being admitted only 15 people are being admitted um, you can be you know, fastest finger on the button to grab your spot to get even closer to me. If now isn't the time for you to be looking at being part of a membership, then the free content will continue to be here as well and will continue to be really, really useful. Today in the podcast episode, I am joined by a fellow clinical psychologist. Um, we first crossed paths on Twitter um, and got chatting there and I invited him on to the show. Um, I hope that you will find our chat really useful. 
we've got our guest Steve talking about his journey to training um, and um, where he works now and also a book that he's published and how um, acceptance and commitment therapy can be really useful a really good um, skill to be learning as an aspiring psychologist as well so with no further ado we will get cracking on this episode Hi, I just want to welcome along our guest for today's podcast. I am joined today by Dr. Steve Jones, and I will allow you to introduce yourself, Steve. Hi, thank you. Um, yeah, so I'm Steve Jones. I'm a clinical psychologist working in Sheffield Children's Hospital, um, specifically in cystic fibrosis and weight management. Um, but I'm also um, a budding author shall we call it? Uh, so I've written uh, a book called Act Made Yorkshire, which is acceptance and commitment therapy, but written written through a Yorkshire lens with all the all that that entails. I love the sound of it. I might need to check that out. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Um, and it's really nice to have a fellow qualified ClinPsych um, on the show, um, but also, yeah, fellow author too, which is lovely. Um, could you tell us a little bit, talk to the audience about your your journey to becoming a ClinPsych, if that's okay? Yeah, of course. So it, it's a bit meandering. So hopefully this is useful. Um, I, I know everyone has such a different, well, it feels like everyone's got a very different journey, but yet there's this stereotype that there's only one way at the same time, which is strange in of itself. Um, so I went to Sheffield Hallam University, which is a an ex-polytechnic. So it's not one of your um, older red brick unis. And I did psychology there. While I was doing that, I got a bit of a, a bit of a taste for things sort of neuropsych and psychobiology, that type of area. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do at that point at all. I was just, I'll see, see what happens. Um, and I managed to get onto a master's in cognitive neuroscience, which was right up my street. And I thought, ah, I'm going to end up doing pharmaceuticals or uh, sort of working in the more neuro side of it, because I'm fascinated by it and absolutely love it. And I got a first job as a support worker just to support me, because I was doing that. So I did my master's part-time. So I did it over two years and worked at the same time so I could afford to do it. And gained a better experience as well, but essentially I had to pay my way through master's. And as I was going through it, working as a support worker. One of my um, tutors, um, a lady called Naira, remember being sat around um, just sort of your communal area in uni and she just went, Steve, what do you want to do after this? I was like, I don't really know, to be honest. Said, well, I don't think you'd like my job, would you? And they were like, what? No, I think I would. I think that's why, that's what I'm doing, isn't it? Um, I think you need to work with people. I think you'd be bored doing mine, which was, and it just sort of struck a chord. Oh, I don't know. This is what I thought I wanted. This is what I thought I was going to do. Um, and then from that, I just started looking into clinical psychology because I'd always enjoyed sort of supporting people. And I know enjoys a, 
an interesting word to use, but it's something that matches with what's important to me, my values. So just doing things through support work in family assessment units and then on a um, I managed to get a support worker job in the NHS on an inpatient CAMS unit. And then from there, I just thought, well, no, let's go all in. Let's let's give this a try. Um, so I got an assistant psychology post, complete right place, right time. And then it just sort of snowballed from there, really. Managed to get on at Sheffield um on the decline and never left. Not that I've ever left Sheffield in the first place. I've tried, but as the accent probably goes, I've never quite, never quite managed. I love that. And actually it's a really powerful story of being sort of seen and validated before you'd even really seen yourself. You know, it sounds like you're really good at throwing yourself in and making the most of every situation and every work role that you're in. Um, but actually to stop and take a moment and think and take stock about what you want for the future and what that might have mm. looked like. It sounds like a really important moment. It, it was. And I remember to so the, the building that that happened, that that conversation with Naira happened in, it's not part of the uni anymore. I think it's flats which is quite sad. It's like, oh, that was a really pivotal moment in my life. I'd probably be working in pure academia now, which okay. would have been fabulous. But also, I remember talking to someone and saying it'd be a bit like, be a bit like having a pizza, but one of the slices is missing. It's still good and you can still enjoy it. And yet, you'd always know that there was a bit that wasn't there. And that would probably be that connection with people. Maybe you'd have found your way to clinical psychology mm. anyway, but Nayira helped you speed up that journey a little bit. Mm. And yeah, she she's a very forthright lady in a, the most wonderful of way. So if anyone would have speed sped that up, it would have been her. Great, great. Um, and how long have you been in your current department, Steve? Uh, so I've been at the children's hospital for two years. Uh, now I'm just because as it stands at the moment I'm just coming up to the end of a position at Rotherham so I've got a split post in okay. paediatrics between the two uh, but I've been in Sheffield Children's for two years having previously done two years in Sheffield Health and Wellbeing which is a which is an arm of IAPT which is a first qualified position was an interesting um, an interesting first experience of world of clean psych post-qualification yeah that's some uh, some hot water to fall into certainly in, in terms of your bums on seat hours i'm sure that was um, probably through the roof at times um mm. and that's and uh, you know being able to use that opportunity because from that because obviously you, you do see that many people um and it's predominantly cbt although i do a lot of act, as it probably no surprise. Um, but from that, you're able to gain things like your BABCP, CBT therapist accreditation because of that. So it's, you know, there is there are opportunities that you can use to to enhance and to say actually, if we're doing this, and it's actually helpful for me to get this training because then I can I can give that back. I can use it. It's it was it was a really wonderful 
um, experience. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't ever put someone off working in that environment as a clinic, just for the the opportunities it presents. I think sometimes we see the barriers only, don't we? But when you're in it, you can you can help with that. Absolutely. And when we're busy, you know, that's there's so many learning opportunities there, aren't there? Very, um, yeah. yeah. Um, and actually, you know, you've alluded there to the fact that you're doing um, a split post. Um, I mm-hmm. did a split post when I was qualified and I've done split post um, as an assistant as well. And just, you know, a little bit of uh, kudos to anyone currently working in split post roles, because my experience was fantastic. But you are working more more than a full time job. There is is my kind of take home memories of that. Yeah, wearing two hats, and it, even down to really mundane things like having different mandatory training portfolio and stuff like. Never mind holding. Oh, this is this clinical caseload. This is this one. I get supervision for this here and this there, and just just holding that is um, it's tricky at times. But yeah. like you say, it, you're almost get you're getting double the experience, aren't you? You know, you, you you're learning how two different systems that ostensibly should be the same, but really, really aren't. You certainly learn quick. You certainly learn quick. Um, but yeah. Um, so when did you qualify um, from Sheffield? So I qualified in 2017. So you were well clear by the time the pandemic started. Yeah, two and a, yeah. I just although I just started, I was about six months into my Rotherham and Sheffield children's jobs when that happened, and then everything, yeah, adapted quick mm, or had to. Uh, how did you find weathering the storm of the pandemic working in children's services? It was it was a, a, a strange one because I think a lot of the um a lot of the ability to offer sort of remote working or even the you know the thing that I'm speaking to you on now is you know the ability to host meetings like this I know people sometimes oh, I've had enough of zoom now I'm done with teams but actually the ability to offer that as an option to people was suddenly there you know all that red tape that had been slowly eroded over a decade just disappeared and you could do it um it was, I think it's been really strange to view the world when you knew that colleagues in adult health were under far more pressure than us in children's services during the acute, I'm going to call it acute phase, because wherever we are at the minute with COVID is a different debate. Um, but it didn't feel as pressured there although within my speciality of of cystic fibrosis there was a lot of concern obviously with it because for people who don't know cf is um a genetic condition that does you know impact on lung health and respiratory tract obviously when covid first came the headlines were it's a respiratory condition so there was a lot of concern there but it was all quite um hypothetical and risk as opposed to people are actually dying at this point so it was really really challenging um to 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 sort of think of that i suppose 
as it's changed and kids and teenagers and, and young people have been, we're in school, we're in bubbles, we're not in school, my bubble's gone down, I'm at home, I've got GCSEs, I've got social, I've been, I'm at a new school but I've not been, I'm here halfway through year eight and I've never been to this school. All of those things have started, you, you can see the impact because people have not had that or to try and do GCSEs at home is just, regardless of who you are, that is hard. It's just um, not ideal. It's just not an ideal situation, is it? You no. know, what we know is a part of, you know, part of what helps us thrive is the environment sometimes, you yeah, know, and about definitely. it being separate and different to home. Um, yeah, like people have not had it easy, you know. Mo many people haven't, regardless of their positions. Yeah, that's but, true. Um, you know, I think I just feel I just really feel for the year sixes and year sevens that missed those important times and also the year tens and elevens and twelves and thirteens, they missed some key milestones. And also they missed, you know, the sixth formers missed going out drinking and, you yeah. know, socializing. Just all those things that you you take for well that I remember taking very much for granted and thinking sort of first year of uni, what would it have been like? That's that experience of you know, the world opening up is essentially what that process is, isn't it? Of going to uni and well, yeah, it's essentially an extension of school now. Because the world isn't opening up in all those other ways, those living away from home or going out and just you know partially fending for yourself it's a it's some of the continuation of grief and trauma isn't it that actually nobody needs to have died in order to have a grief response for what you've lost and of course the whole aspect of of, of covid of course is that many many people did die and so there's, there's traditional grief as well but there's you know there's secondary griefs and griefs for different reasons as well um, you know, and like you said, I, I still can make myself smile thinking about some of my first year and second year uni, um, you know, fun and games. It's hilarious. Um, and people just haven't been able to have those rites of passage in the same way. And that's, that's really sad. Thanks. We're just going to take a quick pause here so that we can hear a little bit more about the Clinical Psychologist Collective. And then I will be back with you and Steve to continue this podcast episode. and I'm a psychological wellbeing practitioner from Newcastle. I just wanted to say the biggest thank you to the contributors of the Clinical Psychologist Collective book. I've enjoyed reading this so much and have loved having an insight into the range of backgrounds and experiences people have prior to applying for the doctorate. And it's been really interesting seeing the potential barriers to the application as well and how I can try and work around this. 
I really started to doubt myself and whether I was good enough to apply for the clinical psychology doctorate but this has really given me the confidence boost that I needed to give it a shot so the biggest thank you ever. No, I was just thinking around um, sort of just people working from home as well, sort of adult populations. And I, I know from a, a personal point of view, I know I'm, um, I'm starting to, you know, aware of a relative privilege. I was sat on a on a bed using my laptop for designing pieces of uh, sort of promotional and self-help type work at home. Because I thought, oh, this will blow over. I don't need to buy a proper desk um, and, a, and a proper chair. I'll be fine. We don't need that. Took about eight months before I bought a desk, at which point my back was in splinters. And I thought, oh, I'll be all right. It'll, I don't need a proper chair. Yet. I haven't really got room in this spare bedroom, so I'll just use a dining, basically a folding IKEA chair, which did even worse things to my back finally get a proper chair and now I'm back at work uh, most of the time. So you can, oh, hold on. And that's, you know, for, for people who might not have had the options to do, you know, to say, oh, I, this, I've had enough now, I'm going to get you. That's a huge amount. And, you know, being able to come downstairs and have a cup of tea between every meeting or every bit of work is fabulous for about a month. And they think, oh, right, okay. I'm probably overdoing the cafe now. Let's yeah. turn it back once a bit. the novelty of a hot lunch wears off, you know. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Realising um, my, electric, my electric bill's going through the roof. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's energy trauma as well, isn't there? It's a whole new kind of uh, hardship as well. But maybe you could use that desk to write your second book, Steve. But um, <laughs> let's think a little bit about the first book, baby, if we can. So yeah, you were telling me just before we started that it's, it's, quite, it's quite, quite new. It's quite recent. Yeah, it's um, the idea of it only came about, well, properly about a year and a bit, maybe a year and four months ago. Um, and it's been released about four months now just be, just before christmas um so yeah it's still it's still new it's still a baby um congratulations when i um, published my first book uh, one of my facebook friends said you know may may it soar high you know and, and sent me an image of a bird and i said it's really lovely really lovely and it's got you know being on the topic that it is it's got a lot of um power to affect people in really good ways. Tell us a little bit about your book, if that's um, okay with you. Yeah, cool. It's um, the aim. Well, the aim of it originally was, you know, sort of acceptance and commitment therapy, which speaks to me both professionally and very personally. It's, I, uh, during training, it, it just seemed to connect. Like, oh, okay, this is this is the 
this is the thing. This this makes sense of people and behaviour and just what we do and how we do it. Living a life that is important to us in the context that we find ourselves was just in, just really powerful. It's not about pathologising. It's not about um, saying that something is wrong. It's, okay, is it working for you? Is it workable? How can we move that? So it comes from a place of passion in that respect. Essentially, it's a book that tries to communicate, act to myself before I did any of my um, uni work. So it's essentially to the the working class kid who grew up sort of not in any sort of, um, uh, with any sort of aspirations of doing what I'm doing now. It's to him. And I know that psychology is often... Um, you know, it, it does have stereotypes. We are, we, I'm now going to use the collective noun here, realising there are exceptions, but we are generally quite a privileged middle-class population. And to be able to speak to people without all the 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 pretense and trying to really cut through some of the the language and some of the words that we as psychologists sometimes hide behind. That was what I wanted to try and do. So, it, it, you know, taking things from act and translating it into sort of stories about uh, a greyhound track or a chippy tea or, uh, you know, sheep shearing, just stuff like that to try and, well, actually, it doesn't have to be you don't have to feel tired after reading a psychology book. Hopefully it's funny. It's my humour, so it's funny to me, but, you know. Um, so that's essentially what I've tried to do. There are, you know, there's quite a few exercises in it, quite a few things that I've adapted from from elsewhere. But essentially it's just me talking to myself when I was younger. I love that. I love that. And actually, the term chippy tea resonates with me as well, because I went to university with um, with some northerners and I'd never heard mm -hmm. the phrase chippy tea um, until <laughs> I hung around with them. But now it's just a thing that it is. You know, we go for chippy tea now. That's like, yeah, but it rocked my world hearing it because it, for me it was always fish and chips, you know. Yeah, but chippy tea—that is—that is definitely a northern northernism. And um, if you are talking directly to our aspiring psychologist audience, mm -hmm. why is ACT such a good framework and theory for them to get their head around and start using for their own mm -hmm. lives, but also perhaps for the clinical work with others? Yeah, it's, it's a fabulous question. They, with so I can I can roll it right back that the if I want to give the really so, you know, the the dullest answer I can, the amount of RCTs that are coming out within ACT is just going up ridiculously fast. It's, and they are showing that this is an effective, an effective form of therapy, an effective form of thinking about the human experience. So that's the, you know, the driest answer I can give. The more colourful one is that, being able to really tap into what is important to you, not what is important to your parents or to your to your partner, to your teachers, to anything like that. It's what is important to you. 
fundamentally. And then when you've answered that, ask yourself why that's important, because there's probably something else under that. Why? What is the driver? And thinking about the idea that your mind will give you things that are hard. Your mind is designed to be a threat detector. Your mind is designed to look for things to try and keep you safe. That it's not doing that through spite. It's not doing that because there's something wrong. It's doing that because it is a human mind. Now, obviously, there are extremes to that, and there are things that you know are incredibly difficult for people to experience. Being able to sit in a room with someone who, especially, so I almost most of my work's been in physical health. So whether that's palliative, chronic pain, general health. There's something about sitting in a room with someone and being able to say, okay, these are the things that you find difficult. That's all you've spoken about. You are more than that. You are more than your pain. You are more than the things that are difficult. Who else are you? What else is there? And what are the common threads through that? Being able, and using that to be able to make someone's life bigger. So we're not just going to fight to get rid of the things that we might not be able to change. So... If you're in huge amounts of pain, you might be in huge amounts of pain. That's not, I'm not going to talk that away. It might never go away. And if it doesn't, okay, how do we make life bigger? Because otherwise you're trying to push a wall over that's not going to move. So not only are you going to be in pain, you're going to be probably angry and frustrated that you can't push the wall over to use that as a, and there's just something about it that just really resonates. The idea that, okay, does what you're doing work? If it works, keep it. If it doesn't work, bin it. Try something else. And that's essentially it, which is where the Yorkshire thing came from, because me and a supervisor at the time, we joked at a conference about I could pretend to be um, I could pretend to be a client but really ham up the Yorkshire side and essentially it came out to the eh, be right be right, get on with it uh, hold on, no, that is what I'm actually doing therapeutically in a more subtle way but that is essentially it um, so, it so yeah like what you're doing there is almost putting ideas on their head and seeing if the bonds hold, seeing if it kind of really makes sense whether we really need to do this whether we can accept that it's always going to be this way or whether whether it could be different hmm. and so you know it's that idea of accepting what you can control and what you can't and the word acceptance has radically different meanings to people so often the way that i often talk about it is that acceptance can feel a bit white flag feels a bit surrender you know i'm just gonna hold my hands up and accept it and that's not really what he's getting at. The idea is around willingness. Can you have this thing and do what's important? Because often yeah. we use a but, don't we? It's, I want this, but this is in the way. So, so I think what you're saying there is it's it's not a passive process, this acceptance. No. It is still an active process. It's still a choice. And you still 
do have control because I know when I've tried to explain the concept of acceptance to people sometimes it's like well it feels like it's giving up you know yeah. um, but actually if we rechannel the energy that we're using to fight against that thing then you might have all these other opportunities available to you yeah that's yeah that's exactly where I'm coming from good Good. Um, and so let's think, I know that um, we first got chatting on Twitter um, mm. and I know that you've got assistant psychologists working with you. Can you tell us a little mm. bit about how assistant psychologists work in your service and what roles they do? Because that's a really common question that I'm asked. You know, when I get my assistant psychologist job, what am I going to be doing? Yeah, cool. I, 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 love, I, I love that question as a general question, because I think if you ask, if you ask, the so at, at the children, we're at the moment very lucky we have a few assistants who um work into various services with us i think if we ask them i think all of their jobs look different and that's just within one service never mind um, different trusts or or with different supervisors i think the 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 general work is around low intensity um, intervention. So we're talking things like low intensity guided self-help type CBT work or group work. We're thinking sort of group development as well. And um, I cannot speak highly enough um, of the assistants who, you know, who've contributed to some of these pieces of work. They're, they're genuinely fabulous. We're also quite lucky in that um, some of the, the assistants that work with us, in fact, all have really, really valid and valuable um, experiences that they can use therapeutically as well, which is genuinely just fabulous for from our point of view. Um, but there are there are lots of lots of varieties in it um, in terms of what else they're able to to contribute to. So whether it's things like um, getting involved in service evaluations or helping upright research reports to, you know, little parts of the sections to then add to a main report. Um, they're all all incredibly valid. Um, I think sometimes, so I'm thinking back to my assistant roles as well. One of them was incredibly number heavy. Um, it was very um, sort of business side of psychology, which sounds really dry however being able to have basically you've got a bird's eye view of the entire service at a, quite a big hospital so it gave you perspectives that you wouldn't get if you were working in silo so even that is an opportunity that you can use and i think if one thing i, I probably advise anyone who wants to get into clinical psychology is not necessarily you must do this, you must do this, you must do this. It's whatever you're doing, how can you use it? How can you apply that in some way? And it's, it's oft, it's, it comes it's very similar to acting in that sense of it's not what you're doing, it's why are you doing it? Why is this useful? Um, because that's often the thing that you can tell. You, so you could, when you see um, applications and um, you know interviews, it's often the person who's able to say, "I've done this, 
because of this, or this was helpful for me because this is how I've learned from this and this is how I've developed from this. Often, you know, the, the, the what is useful, it's really helpful, but the bit that's underneath it, the why, why has that been helpful? Why have you wanted to do this? That's the thing that you go, ah, oh, right. That's really useful. And, you know, as you were talking, I was imagining like Pac-Man walking around sort of gobbling up all these little nuggets and using them. Mm. And then my mind was transforming. When I was at secondary school, we bought my friend this um, present that um, you'd gobble up. It's a reindeer. You gobble up these chocolate things, then you push it down and it poos it out the other end. But it poos it out exactly the same as it went in. And actually, that's not what we want from our assistants, is it? We want some element of transformation. We want them to digest what they've had, take meaning from it, and then mm. give it back to us at a different point in a transformed way that that shows us the resonance it's had with them and so that's what really excites you when you see on a form um i think is what you're suggesting as well yeah so um, when we yeah when we see that coming in you can you can see it's not just the individual experience but the the experience is the 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 meaning that someone has taken from that it's stitching together maybe two or three experiences like, all right this person really understands what this why they were asked to do this what this means to them and it's yeah. it really shines through it does and so what we don't want to see is reindeer poo on on application no. never thought i'd say that you know that I no, think I was, probably, I, probably a google whack and i haven't thought about that little reindeer since i was about 12 you know that's just been storing <laughs> itself in my head for the opportune moment when it was time to you know to parrot that out but you know, this is an example of what we're talking about, isn't it? It's taking meaning from the world, gobbling up, yeah. storing it until it's ready to be to be something brilliant. Um, until it's useful, but, yeah. And who would yeah. have thought that that reindeer poo would be useful in? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Got to love a human brain, haven't we? Um, thank you so much for talking to us, Steve. This is going to be such a useful episode. Um, and your book sounds absolutely brilliant as well. So I'd urge everybody listening to um to check it out where can they get hold of a copy if they'd like one yeah so it's available through amazon either as um a hardback or it's available as an ebook on kindle perfect and how can people or can people um connect with you on social media uh yeah so i'm on i'm on twitter uh, act made yorks a-c-t-m-a-d-e-y-o-r-k-s lovely Imagine if you said, no, I don't, I'm not on Twitter after I've already ousted you as being on Twitter. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to keep it low profile. So. <laughs> but thank you so much for joining us. And I will pop all Pleasure. your contact details in the show notes as well. Um, thank you again for your time and for, you know, listening to my random request when we got chatting on um, on Twitter. Do you fancy coming and doing a podcast episode? And you said yes. By absolute pleasure. Thank you for, thank you for the invite. And yeah if anyone wants to connect and ask questions please please feel free perfect thank you so much for your time steve my pleasure thank you thank you so much for listening today i hope you have found it helpful um you can get in contact with me basically i'm in most places i am now um dr marianne trent so that is the case for linkedin that is the case for twitter that is the case for instagram the only places that i am not that are on facebook and youtube um, and that is good thinking psychological services so come and connect um, i'm also on linktree as dr marianne trent or i'm also on 
TikTok as Dr. Marianne Trent too. So you can come and look at all the different ways of working with me um, yeah, directly from my link tree or from any of my socials um, for that matter. Thank you so much. Please do take a moment to rate and review us on the Apple podcast app. And I will look forward to catching up with you for our next episode, which will be landing with you at 6am on the next coming Monday, whenever that might be for you um, yeah come and get connected come and let me help celebrate your successes on socials because I do love to do that um, be kind to yourself enjoy the next um, compassionate Q&A which is coming up there's a little bit more information coming up for you in a moment about that but yeah be kind to yourself enjoy the spring weather if it is indeed still spring where you are listening to this and I will catch up with you very soon take care if you're looking to become a psychologist then let this be your guide with this podcast at your side you'll be on your way to being qualified it's the aspiring psychologist podcast with dr marianne trent Hello, my name is Veronica Kassova. I live in Edinburgh and I just graduated with a Master's in Psychology of Mental Health. Marion recommended me the Clinical Psychologist Collective when I was networking on LinkedIn and I must say I love it. Um, it is one of a kind. It's like a window into the lives of people on the path of becoming a psychologist. The stories are unique, honest and filled with a kind of intangible wisdom only personal storytelling can uncover. A common thread in the stories I valued most was to be compassionate not only with others, but with myself too. Also, not fixating on becoming a psychologist, but enjoying life, growth, and the final results will come as a byproduct. Marianne, thank you for taking the time to collate all the stories. The book is a true gem, and I think every aspiring psychologist should have a copy on their shelf. Thank you.